0: Once again, I would like to welcome my listeners to another episode of this Scandinavian podcast show, Lebevei, and my name is James Alexander Anfinsen, and I'm the host for this show, and I might add that this title, Lebevei, it's, uh, it's a Norwegian word, and in English it would have the meaning of vocation and also livelihood, but besides that, it also has At least for me personally, it's sort of the meaning of way of life. Um, And I think one of my passions is to actually explore, of course, my own way in my own life, but also collectively, you know, how can we move forward and develop and transform our society. So sort of the overarching tagline for the show is actually, you know, different perspectives pertaining to personal, relational and societal transformation and maybe going back to the personal i think one of the the most inspiring practices for me has been you know just formal meditation and i'm you know curious today to explore that but maybe also some other topics so we'll we'll see what comes up and i'm really excited today to invite my guest on the show and her name is Eliza Maud Dalian, and she is a healer, a mystic, a spiritual teacher, and an author of a book which I've recently read. A book which is called "In Search of the Miraculous Healing into Consciousness," and um, she's also the founder of a of a healing method called the Dalian Method, and all these things we we might come back to in our conversation. But for, but before that, I would just like to bring my guest on. So welcome. Eliza, Martha, so nice to have you on the show.
1: Hello, Jameson. It's my great pleasure being on your show.
0: Great. So I was thinking. I mean, one of the the topics that we'll, you know, most likely um, delve into is, of course, presence and you know, being in the now. And I was wondering, maybe as a way to sort of ground ourselves a bit, maybe we could sort of check in and just. Um, um, yeah, I mean, let let me know. For instance, where in the world are you, and and how's um how's the world showing up on on your side right now?
1: Yeah, geographically at the moment I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and uh, we have um, nice weather here today. It being in the now, so a little bit of uh, snow dust. Other than that, it's um, it's pretty calm.
0: Cool. Yeah. And is this a place that you've lived for a long time or did you move to Vancouver?
1: I actually, I was born in Armenia, which is uh, a part of, used to be part of USSR. And I left in 1976 and I moved to uh, Montreal, Canada. And I lived there for many years, then had an opportunity to. Travel. I was um, in um, Osho's community at the Mystic Indian Mystic. Yeah. Um, so I was in community in Oregon, and then I lived in India for four years, and came back. So it's um, in a way, it's been a it's been a very interesting journey, it, especially this lifetime. I can't complain. I've had such a full life and had so many incredible experiences, including the experience of recognizing that um, I'm not what I think I am, I'm not the ego, I'm not the body, I'm not the emotions, I'm not the mind. Having the experience, what in the East called, people call self-realization, enlightenment, that's been my journey pretty much for many lifetimes. And this lifetime, It came to fruition thanks to the environment, the Buddha fields that was created by Osho, who is the Buddha of this century or the past century that uh, he was living in and uh, still continuing. And, you know, when Buddha was alive, he said it it was he, he sort of predicted 500 years that his religion might survive because women were part of it. And of course, it has survived for a lot more than that. Hmm. And it will continue to survive. And similarly, I feel with Osho, he's somebody that it will take maybe another 300 years or 200 years for people to really catch on to understand the impact that this man has made on human consciousness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Osho, I mean, maybe you could tell a story or... You know, paint a picture of how he impacted you, you know, in what way did he impact you in the way that you teach and understand spiritual practice and healing today?
1: Well, first of all, his meditation techniques, the very practical meditation techniques that help you have the experience that is impossible to have intellectually. Uh, Secondly, his discourses that are so not only inspiring but they're so expansive in terms of your consciousness, just listening is a meditation because when you speak, when you listen to the truth and somebody speaks the truth you cannot help but be affected by it. And of course also very important that simultaneously that any seeker would do their own work. So the, the impact of Osho, has his Buddha feel that he created his talks and just simply being in his presence, listening to him talk for two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, in itself was a meditation. And to me, it's it was like a feeling of having come home, just looking into his eyes for the first time when I met him, it was and I couldn't stop crying when just looking into his eyes, there was this sense of, I have come home because in a way I've been searching for this for many lifetimes to be in a place and each one of us searches for this, to be in an environment, in an atmosphere or to be in a presence for someone who is unconditionally accepting you. And just in itself, The healing happens just with with that alone.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, so this whole concept about, you know, several lifetimes and how that plays into a spiritual practice and and development, maybe this is something we can come back to a bit later. But before that, I would like to, you know, go back to something you you pointed to earlier, because you you talked about this experience of, you know, not being identified or being the same as one's body or one's thoughts, etc. And... I was wondering about that experience. You know, why is that experience so important?
1: Well, the experience is important because otherwise we're living our ego identity. And when we're living our ego identity, the ego is always afraid. And the fear from the ego to die prevents us prevents our life force, pre- prevents our potential from manifesting. And within that life force is where our consciousness is. And in order for consciousness to expand, the shell has to be broken. Just like in order for seed to grow, the shell needs to be broken or the, the bird has to come out of the shell that um, it originates in. So the same thing is with the need of the soul to be liberated. Mm -hmm. And we're liberated from what? We're liberated from the illusion of death. We're liberated from the pain and suffering that the ego creates. We're liberated from this, the world that is very gross, actually. And it's not easy to live with limitations and the body is a limitation, the mind is a limitation, emotions are limitations, so that's why it's so important for anyone to seriously look at this and start asking the questions, who am I, what am I doing here, where am I going to go when I die? and start looking at death to understand why is there fear of death, why is there collectively that we look the other way and we don't want to talk about death, we don't want to look at it uh, head on, we don't want to look at our fears, we don't want to look at our darkness. And our darkness is simply layers of unconsciousness, that's all it is. And if we don't look at it, we cannot transform into consciousness. It's a mathematical equation there, the more the 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 most conscious people are the people who have delved deep into the darkness of their soul. Mm. They've delved deep into their unconsciousness. And this takes a lot of courage and that's why only very few break out of the illusion simply because it's hard work in a in a way and it requires courage. But the moment the person makes a decision or feels that longing, then the work becomes actually enjoyable. It doesn't look like hard work. I know the people that ho- work with me. When they start, they start with, you know, that whole baggage of fear. And as they start exploring and finding the freedom, slowly, slowly peeling the layers, they get so excited they don't want to stop
0: yeah that's the thing and i mean you've you've mentioned this um this concept of of layers and it resonates with actually some of the things I found most lucid in your book, and that was the description of these different veils you know like the different layers that cover the the witnessing capacity mm-hmm. in our in our being you know and this whole idea of hm or maybe not idea, but the capacity to witness and that the transpersonal witness as as a facet of our being you know in what ways can that sort of start to emerge in a human being
1: the the thing is the way I see it the witness is always there it's just covered up with the beliefs the emotions the, the the mind the thoughts identification with all those things that just like clouds cover the sun. The same way our witness, our consciousness is already in innate. We come with it. Yeah, And it's just the changing of the focus. When I'm doing my healing work, I see this all the time. People are so identified with whatever, the physical pain, with their mind, with their anxiety, with their fears. As we work through this, And and this is why I'm so excited about my method, James, is because it helps to peel away all those layers very quickly and give a person an experience of their inner witness, their inner silence, their inner stillness. and, And in that, there's the inner knowingness. Suddenly, the moment a person experiences that for the first time, they go, oh, everything I thought I was is not me. And that's the first step. After that, because we're such creatures of habit and because those behavior patterns have been so mechanical, that's where the work begins, the work of understanding that now I have to stay alert, I have to meditate, I have to start building on that awareness that I had so that my witness, my inner ability to focus, to center, to be in my that silent still place can grow so that eventually it becomes a, a part of my lifestyle that it's 24-7, I don't have to sit to meditate, I'm in meditation just by being in the present all the time.
0: Yeah, and of course now we're talking about this, but is it possible, you know, right now as we speak to sort of point to or allude to this witnessing quality since it is ever-present, I mean, how, how does the witness show up um, right now, in our relation, in our conversation, in in our beings?
1: Well, right now, as we're speaking, you can be witnessing your voice. You could be witnessing um, whether there's thoughts in the mind that want to articulate something. You can be witnessing the body. You could be witnessing how you're speaking. You could be witnessing your breath. In this very moment, this is part of
0: the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because if I am to be transparent, you know, one of the, the interesting aspects of being a podcast host is that it brings heightened awareness and attention into this domain of, you know, meaning-making as we go along, you know, seeing thoughts and questions emerge as one is in contact with another human being, that has become, at least for me, a, a practice in and of itself. Are, are there other ways to sort of paint a picture of this this witness so that the listeners could really, you know, get a grasp of what we're talking about?
1: Well, in my particular case, the way I see things is there's levels to witnessing. And just as there's levels to our consciousness, there's levels to expansion and the the one level could be as we're speaking we're just witnessing those things that i just mentioned about then there's the undercurrent there's something else that happens that each individual knows and they know because it's happening within them they cannot articulate it there is a sense of well what we call intuition so Intuitively, we might be feeling something, sensing something, and speaking something else, which is so common, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And most people, and this is what I discovered when I was a child, I could see that people are saying something, but they're feeling and thinking something else. Mm-hmm. And that's another level of witnessing to see that when I'm having a conversation, am I being honest? Am I being transparent, like you said? am i am I truly in my heart am I in my integrity am I fully open or do I have an agenda? what is my motive am I manipulative am i controlling do i am I controlling in this moment all these things need to be witnessed and watched
0: yeah yeah that, that's so interesting i i hmm you know, th- this reminds me of an earlier conversation I had with a guy called Gregory Kramer, who, who's devised a, a method called Insight Dialogue, and we we sort of stumbled in into this same domain where it sort of it sort of loosens up a bit, you know, because what I noticed then was, of course, that I did have an agenda, mm-hmm. I, and I often do, you know, when we when I interview, of course, there is an agenda there, and, and it's quite scary to of course bear witness to that and also let go of that agenda um and i'm sort of sensing some of the same things now so this whole that experience of of fear maybe we could could use that as a as a point of exploration because i'm one of the things i sort of dotted down on my paper was you know what is it that inhibits the emergence and the stabilization of the witnessing self you know what is it that sort of works against or keeps us away from that from that experience and that way of, of being
1: well the first thing is and again every single human experiences this is of course fear fear of rejection fear of needing to be accepted fear of making mistakes that's basically starts starts there from the very childhood and every time we interact in life interact with people that fear is at the forefront and it runs the show so to speak and when the fear is there then what do we do we repress we repress our truth our inner truth what we truly feel and think and all those repressions where can they go they block our energy and if they block our energy they also block our vision they They're like clouds that cover our chakra system, if we go into a little bit more technical explanation here. The chakra system in the body is designed to transform energy from unconsciousness into consciousness. And when we repress our basic emotions, and the fear basically locks our third chakra, the solar plexus, And it blocks basically the first three chakras, fear of sexuality, all the conditionings to do with sexuality, which are social and religious. They block basically the life force from the very, very start. So then the fear to, to express sexuality, to enjoy your body, everybody goes through that. That's the part of the collective unconscious that we need to work through and break through. Then there's the fear of survival. And this is again, a very man-made thing that we're, we're almost conditioned without even knowing that we have to be afraid of our survival. But we don't see that, wait a minute, I came here into this planet Somehow I came here, so I exist, I existed, and when I die, I still exist. So what am I afraid of? I'm going to die anyways. So the fear of death, then would be the root of all the fears. And we need to work through that. And it cannot be worked intellectually, because the only way to transcend fear, to transform fear, is to feel it. Yeah. We have to face it, feel it, and that's how we go through it. And I say this because I've done it myself, and I speak from my own experience. If I did not tell myself, and I have sensed the fear, the fear of death is so strong, because what is afraid is the ego. Even if we know intellectually, it doesn't matter, we need to feel it physically. And when I came to that place, and I felt that fear of death, many times, And especially as you go deeper into your meditation, you start sensing that suddenly you feel that emptiness within. And the more you feel you go into the emptiness, you feel you're disappearing. And what is disappearing? We don't understand that it's the ego that is disappearing, but that's where we need an understanding of these things. So as you go through that and you give, you understand it more then you say, You come to the place of fear of death and you know there's one more step and I'll be dead. But what is afraid to die? I'm afraid to leave the body. I'm afraid to dissociate myself from the body. I'm afraid to not be in the body. That's what the fear of death is all about. Mm. And the moment we transcend that and we say, I'm willing to die. Today is a good day to die. And willingness to die means... I'm willing to let go of all my attachments, not just to my body, to people, to my emotions, to the ideas that I have, to the longings, expectations, desires that I have. That's what acceptance of death is all about, letting go of attachments. Mm -hmm. The moment we say that, and in my case, I came to that, I felt the trembling in my body, and I said, I'm willing. I'm willing to surrender and let go and let existence decide. It's not in my hands. Hmm. That's the moment where actually I had that experience of the explosion within me that suddenly there was this big bang is a good description for it. And suddenly, the, the thousands of suns rising in my body and basically burning it away. There is no body, there's no mind, there's no emotions, there's nothing. There's only this pure witnessing consciousness that knows that I am the universe. Yeah. There is no separation. And many people talk about oneness, but they have no idea what they're talking about. To truly to experience the oneness, you have to go through the fear of death. There's no other way.
0: Sort of a question that arose just listening to, to you speaking now was that there's... I'm sort of curious because on on one side, you know, the, the, the attachment, of course, to, to the body, for instance, seems to be... You know, a challenge or, or something that we have to work with and maybe we can come back to that at the same time for instance reading your book you know the there is a great positive emphasis on the body as well you know like anchoring one's witness you know in the body you know having a good connection to one's hara center you know referring to the to the chakra system and and this is of course something which is really important to me as well since I, I practice Aikido and uh, Japanese martial arts so I would you know love to hear you talk a bit about you know how the the body is a needed vessel for this process for this way or for this transformation that we're talking about and at the same time you know that the body is something that we have to let go of in a sense
1: so thank you for asking that question because that you opened another dimension to what i was just talking about and in order for us to come to that place of acceptance and letting go uh, of all attachments including the body we obviously need to live our life force fully we cannot let go of attachments if we have not lived fully and in order to live fully we need to. This is where the chakra system comes in, and it helps us to become aware of the many layers or many levels that we call a human condition. In order to be able to jump and say, I'm ready to die and let go of everything, the awareness needs to be anchored in the body. Without the body, it's very difficult to become quote-unquote enlightened or wake up simply because the body is like that shell the same sort of way as the shell of the egg that helps the the chick inside to develop and then be born the same way is the the shell is the body which also is built in with the survival instinct, it's built in with obviously the ego being part of it, and we need to bring the awareness, the anger, the awareness in the center of the body, so that we are jumping from the cyclone into the center where nothing moves. So we need the contrast, and the body gives that contrast, the world, life gives that contrast, so... We know that there is a movement and we know, we experience that there is a center where nothing moves. So in order to do that and in order to be able to have that uh, awakening experience, we need to learn. This is where meditation comes in and helps us to learn to anchor our awareness in the center, the unmoving center within the body that goes through all the chakras. Now, in order to come to that center, the easy way that I find is to start erasing the beliefs that are imprinted in the body. In the old days, we used to just watch the mind, watch the breath, and suddenly you come, you experience the center. This is where what we call Vipassana meditation. And as a matter of fact, Vipassana, the centering of the awareness is within any kind of martial arts because you cannot really be a, a master of a martial arts if you don't know how to be in your center. It does not happen through the mind, it happens through that in the center you are... you, you jump into the spontaneous action which is transcends the mind, transcends the thought It's the knowingness. Mm. And within that knowingness, this is where the whole universe is. The universe knows. Consciousness knows. And if you are in the knowingness, you also have the sense of self-trust. You also have the sense of inner power. And this is the kind of power that does not destroy. It's the kind of power that knows if I need to put my energy into action, I can. And there's this sense of knowingness. If somebody's coming with ill intentions and they want to destroy my existence, my body's existence, I can protect myself. So in that sense, uh, a Buddha, who is a is, let's say, a martial artist Buddha, because many martial artists are, have that quality of a Buddha, there is no karma in acting through that center. The karma arises when, when, it, when the action comes from the ego, comes from the mind. But when it comes from the center, there is no karma, because in that moment, this is the truth that needs to happen. And the ego is surrendered. There is no ego. You're acting based on that universal consciousness that is in your center. I don't know if I answered it, your question directly, but um, well, this is... Well, a- now,
0: now I can't even remember my question because I was so intrigued by what you said. And I think uh, especially that, that the, the difference between you know, a, a movement, uh, an act of speech or whatever you know that either originates from the mind or it originates from you know deeper deeper inside you know there there seems to be a a very different quality to it and yeah that's that's really interesting and um i i just wanted to very briefly share um sort of a personal experience and maybe we could link that to um to our further conversation because i think it's relevant you know some years ago when i stumbled upon meditation i got an initial quite clear understanding of the witness however after a certain time i sort of hit a ceiling and i think um i i always reacted with sort of um not very interested in anything that had to do with you know healing or the heart or empathy or loving kindness you know i was like yeah yeah later it's not so interesting and even though i i did practice you know, martial arts. I I didn't really have a, a deep connection to my body. I mean, maybe that's also something that we could explore. But what I'm sort of trying to point to is this this ceiling. It, it it seems like one comes to a certain point, and then if one you know doesn't listen to the body's needs, you know, the deep needs and and the the more painful aspects of One's own, you know, ego, and if one doesn't, you know, approach that in a healing and in a loving way, I'm, I'm wondering if getting further on the path will be quite difficult, and and maybe and that that's also one of the things which I really appreciated with your book, and that was, you know, the the whole concept of healing into consciousness, and you know, mm-hmm. lifting up that as a really, really important aspect of the path. So, um, I'd love to hear your comments on that and just, yeah, feel free to delve into it.
1: Well, you're absolutely right in, in saying that what you became aware that you weren't connected with your body, the thing is that most people who are searching are not aware of their body and they don't seem to think that it's necessary. And then once you become aware, then you realize, oh my God, there's so much in my body that I haven't i haven't explored my whole history is in my body everything i am or i think i am is in my body including what i'm not and including what i am everything is in the body so the body is that miracle that helps to bring the awareness into into unconsciousness basically the body because it has it carries the full unconsciousness of all Our journeys not just this lifetime all the lifetimes starting from you know the first time that our life force has incarnated Uh, maybe it was incarnated as an animal maybe it was incarnated as a tree all those experiences are there and the body carries those experiences it has that that magic and don't ask me how I have no clue it's just the, the the grace of existence that this is how things work that Every single memory is within the body. Why is it there? Because every single physical experience that we've had, that our life, our soul has had, many people call it a Kashic record. So it's it's almost like this this book of records that every single experience that we've had is is recorded in, and it's not a physical. Recording, but it records in, on some kind of a level or some kind of a dimension. And that dimension continues with the soul. So it's part of the soul. And every time the soul incarnates into a new body, it brings that whole history into the new body. And why is this? Because in order for transformation to happen from unconsciousness into consciousness, We need, in our humanly, worldly concept, we need a lot of time. And why is it that we need so much time? Because existence is so vast and so complex in the sense that it embodies everything within the universe is part of our existence. To know that, we need to go through developing life after life after life after life, becoming more conscious, becoming more conscious, to a point where we see the whole picture and we have that inner strength and power and awareness that I'm ready to die as a story. Hmm. Because it's the story that keeps us alive.
0: Explain that a bit further, that that caught my curiosity.
1: Letting go of the story means uh, I do not exist anymore. I, in terms of the way I know myself, the I of the ego does not exist. I know that now I am the whole universe and the whole universe is my home. And anywhere, anywhere existence wants this energy to be, the energy is available to the to existence because that energy is that conscious energy that existence says okay we need this energy now here and we need to help to expand consciousness in this place of the planet or in this place of the universe if you look at the night sky all around is all dark so all that what, what's in that space is is unconscious that space is full, but it's we don't know what's in there. The quantum physics is now coming to that same awareness that the universe is unknowable. Every mystic comes to that awareness that the mind wants to know, wants to know, wants to dissect, wants to know more. I, I can know everything, so the ego thinks I can know everything, but the mystic knows that I don't know anything. And I cannot know, because the mystery of existence, that's why it's called the mystery, it's unknowable. Hmm. And we know only moment to moment. That's why the living in the here now is so important. So that we understand the only thing that we have right now, the only thing we could live right now, is right now. There's There's nothing, the past is gone, the future we don't know. But based on how we live in the present, is how the future unfolds. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Speaking of the the present, I hmm, another facet of this practice, and maybe I also, you know, I I mentioned it in my earlier question. You know, this whole thing about empathy, kindness, connection towards others, and you know, the the same inwards to oneself, and how, how do you see? those kind of qualities arising in conjunction with, you know, presence and anchoring oneself in the now, in what way is there a connection there? Because I'm assuming that there is, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how you would, you know, paint that picture or, or what's your experience of, of that?
1: Well, my experience is very simply, you cannot practice compassion. Many people try to practice compassion, and it's, it's so ridiculous. And I've, I've actually, and I'm going to give a little hit here, I've, I've met many Buddhists who practice compassion, and they have no clue what they're doing. Compassion arises out of your understanding that once you see your own darkness, once you have gone through the dark night of your soul, as the Christian mystics put it, then you understand that I am capable to destroy as much as I'm capable to create. And once you see somebody else in the place of acting unconsciously, being destructive, being jealous, being uh, manipulative, you know that I've done all those things too. I'm capable of doing them I've seen I've done them now I'm more conscious not to do them because once I realize that once I realize those qualities inside me and and I've transcended them I've come into my heart to understand that here's a, this person who's acting this way I feel compassion for because they're not they're not aware they're not conscious this is true compassion to me, understanding that everything is accepted. Why did I say that in the presence of Vosha I felt completely unconditionally accepted? What does it mean to be unconditionally accepted? It means that understanding that the, the mystic, someone who's realized, knows that I know, I've gone there, I've been through that. I know that I'm capable of murder. I know that I'm capable of destruction. I know that I'm capable of all these raw, like, first three chakra things. I've done all those things. And for someone who does that, I have compassion. I have an understand- understanding. Hmm. That That is compassion. So compassion arises out of somebody going through the dark night of their own soul. And if somebody practices compassion without really going through their own emotions and understanding, then their compassion is very, very shallow, because only a person who who knows their own fears, who knows their own darkness, can can relate to someone who's going through the pain and suffering of that same thing.
0: Hmm. So from, from so- sinner to saint?
1: That's right, that's right, because the saint has the sinner within doesn't the only difference is here is that the 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 saint does not act upon the sinner the sinner, in other words, knows that I've done this already, I recognize, I look back, and I took the courage to go through that because James, when I'm working with people, you know what's the most painful thing for people to do no. It's for them to see their own ego. It's excruciating. That's why people don't go there. And many times people go there and they start seeing the ugly faces of the ego. And it's so ugly, they feel, oh my God, I can't, I can't feel this. This is agonizing. I've gone through the agony. I've seen the, the Mm -hmm. the agonizing face of the ego. I know it. And, and that's why I can, I can take people's hands and say, it's okay, just keep going. <laughs> if you haven't transcended, you haven't understood that, that agony that ego creates, how can you relate to someone who beats themselves up for doing something wrong? Why people beat themselves up because they're conditioned to think something is wrong? It's wrong what you're doing, yeah. but the thing is, nothing is wrong in existence. Everything has a purpose.
0: Yeah, and talking of that, you know, the purpose. You know, like how pain and, and suffering could be understood as sort of signposts on our own unique path, and, and maybe also referencing what you just said. You know how. The ways in which one's ego shows up you know it could be a really good signpost for you know the exact things that we need to work on or that i need to work on you know to to come further on the path what's your thoughts on that
1: uh, i'm not very clear you, i understand your question but did you use the word acceptance
0: um no i don't think so
1: (laughs) you didn't then acceptance is is basically the key the first step the key for transformation yeah and and that's what it means what i just talked about earlier what what it meant was accepting everything we cannot wake up if we don't accept and and what i'm saying uh, i want to clarify i don't mean that go and behave in a nasty way and okay. i'm not saying that don't don't behave in a kind way on the contrary the whole learning this is why those masters come in to teach people that you know it's you need to be kind you need to be loving that there is something else there and this is how they bring your attention more to the heart and we need to get into the heart however we cannot ignore our jealousies and anger and uh, frustration and unhappiness so all these things need to be also accepted and and in my in my mind the way i work is i always tell people if something is there number number one Accept it. So, okay, it's it's here. I feel jealous. I feel angry. Second step is ask yourself, why are those emotions there? Why do you feel this way? Why do you feel afraid? Why do you feel angry? Why do you feel jealous? What's causing this for you to feel this way? And this is where self-exploration comes in. Then you start looking to see, to understand yourself, okay, why do I feel this way? What's missing inside me? Because that's where you start realizing, oh my God, now I see I have been feeling angry and jealous and fearful because I, I haven't found my own creativity. Because the moment you find your creativity and start living in, who cares what other people do? You're fulfilled because you're living your love. You don't have to compare yourself. Hmm. And if if you have found your inner aloneness and you feel content within yourself, then it doesn't matter if you're accepted, not accepted, rejected, or it doesn't matter. You wish well for other people. You wish that, as as a matter of fact, you start enjoying your aloneness so much that, that you don't want other people to start bothering you and coming with their neediness and wanting to to suck on your energy to fill their own needs.
0: Yeah, and that's that's also so interesting because I've, you know, of course, experienced that with, with others, you know, people that I look to for inspiration, you know, regarding the path. And, and of course, you know, sometimes they, they can act in a way that from one perspective might seem, I don't know, like harsh or, or brutal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? But it's yeah. still maybe in retrospect, you know, realizing that, wow, yeah, maybe that was what I needed, you know.
1: Exactly, exactly, because otherwise, how else can you take responsibility for yourself? And this is another big word, responsibility. And to me, only a person who is capable of taking responsibility for their own existence can truly take that jump and take on other people to help other people. And again, this is from my own experience as well, because when I was focused on my own journey, I really didn't care who did what. It was like, oh, I, my, my, my main goal is uh, I have to find enlightenment. So once that happened, it's almost like, okay, now I understand that this was a silly thing, and it was all actually coming from my ego that wanted to become enlightened. <laughs> hmm. So now you see that last, sort of step of the ego because ego is so tricky, right? But you don't see it till till you have that big break from that mind that is creating the ego. And once once you get there, you suddenly you see the journeys, the goal, there's nothing to do, there's nothing to 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 aspire. So so then just being in the present in the now, this is all that I can do like lao tzu says before he became enlightened he was chopping wood carrying water from the well after he became enlightened he's chopping wood carrying water from the well there's nothing on the outside that looks different <laughs> but on the inside it's a huge difference then there is no more anxiety there's no more need for other people's attention approval You're just content with yourself, with your existence. And that's where you start looking at, now, what do I have to contribute? Okay, I found it. So in my case, when I came to that, I realized that if my journey is to continue, I have to share what I learned or what I experienced, because otherwise my own evolution will stagnate. And a person who becomes enlightened doesn't mean they don't evolve anymore, and they, they don't continue learning. Yeah. So then the next step in my own evolution was to help other people, to share what I know. And then as I started doing that, teaching other people, doing meditation courses, etc., then slowly this healing method evolved based on my personal experiences my ability to read the thought from in energy and as I started working with people it's I, I found this incredible method that that it's almost ingenious in the way that it heals the body it heals the ailments physical ailments and at the same time transforms unconsciousness into consciousness because what i realized is for healing to happen what's unconscious needs to be transformed into conscious. the moment that transformation happens in the body the body naturally heals all those incurable ail- ailments mm-hmm. and it's such a quick easy way to do it and this is it we're ready for it we're we're evolved to a level that we are ready to move past the childish games that the ego has been playing and the, the, the those societal conditionings that we have been victims of.
0: I would actually love to hear a bit more about, you know, this Dalian method, um, but just, you know, before we do that i'd just like to sort of you know f- feed the conversation with with some of my reactions to what you said earlier and maybe mm-hmm. you can connect it because many of the things that you you pointed to of course they um they point to many of the things which which i deal with um my ego the way that my ego shows up in in different ways so i was sort of sitting here and smiling and sensing actually um First, a bit of fear, and then a bit of shame, and but then afterwards, humour. That there is, in a way, when, when one starts to see one's ego in the way that it sort of unfolds, in its childish ways, there is sort of a, a lightness and a humour, humour to it as as well. Maybe there's something you can connect to to there. But I, I, as I said, I'd love to hear more about this method and how you actually work with with their clients.
1: Certainly. And before I do that, actually, you used another very important word, humor. And humor is so important because that is definitely a great helper in transcending the heaviness of the ego. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, because you know many people get scared and they stop and they miss that part of the humor. So when you bring humor in and start seeing it, as a matter of fact, when you see the ego is ridiculous, you can laugh. So that's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so, yeah. So so how does that show so, up? I mean, when you when you work with clients, how how do you see that this method helps this this process of healing into consciousness and and maybe also really you know like you know pinpoint this. The, the importance of healing into consciousness as a, as a path here? Because I, I understand mm-hmm. that you, um, um, I suppose, maybe even, you know, criticize um, some forms of, of therapy for maybe missing a, a valuable point there. You know?
1: Well, the, the forms of therapy, they always evolve or they come into light when, obviously, when they are needed. In in my mind, existence masterminds everything. And there's always the time when things come in. For example, the time when Osho came in, he brought the active meditations. And he had no clue, I had no clue that this method that, that came through me would evolve and would manifest. So the, the way the way it's, it simply works is... First of all, I started working with people one-on-one. So when I realized that something is missing in the way, the way the therapy is working, there's still something from the outside or somebody from the outside that manipulates the energy and helps the energy to move. And obviously, the, the key is for energy to move. This is what the function of acupuncture is. You put the needles, you get the energy to move. You do body work, Reiki, massage, all these therapies to help the energy to move. And there's that's good, that's excellent, but there's something missing there. What's missing is that the, the deeper layers, why, first of all, the energy is not moving. Why the energy is blocked? And that's the main question here. And if the energy is blocked, what is in the energy that's blocking the energy? Mm. Because until we go into that what is there, and what is there normally is the beliefs. The beliefs that are imprinted in the body. We have an experience, we make a conclusion, that conclusion becomes a belief and it's already imprinted in the energy in the body.
0: Mm. So, so any beliefs r- as a root cause then in a the
1: exactly Exactly, and it continually runs through the energy. So um, just as an example, uh, a person came to me, she had very severe headaches and a neck pain, and she was about 35, and she had tried everything, all the therapies that are possible to help with that, including chiropractic, including um, physiotherapy, the energy work, et cetera, et cetera but the headaches continued becoming more severe and when i looked into her energy and into the unconscious because what i do when i am working one-on-one i look into the layers of the person's unconscious with always the question okay here's this symptom Mm -hmm. what is causing the symptom what are the layers and i look through the different layers of the unconscious to come to the original incident where the belief has been formed And when I looked into her energy, I saw that she had an accident when she was a little girl. I said, what happened? What happened? So I I brought that out of her. What happened when you were uh, a child? Then she recalled an incident where she was on a tear father and she fell. And the, the board was coming down at her. She was about five, six years old. And she felt she was going to be crushed underneath it. Because it just well, she's right, you know, on on the ground, and this thing is coming at her, and her whole body paralyzed from the fear of death, obviously, and um, she was lucky because her mother saw it; she pulled her out of the way, and but that experience stayed ingrained in her physical self. Now, as she started growing older, every time there is any kind of incident of fear or fear of survival, that program in the gr- background was running. Hmm. So the fear of death, what happens? Fear of death, the energy cannot move out of the seven chakra. It cannot freely move. The circulation is not happening and the memory is just stuck there. It's in the physical cells. So as I helped her with the method to release this memory, and basically what I do is I go into it. I see the exact thought form at the time of the incident. And once that thought form is released, it's like a cloud suddenly vanishes, just disperses. And then she saw, I cannot die. That's the moment. Is, oh, my God, I cannot die. I see that now. And that's that moment of awakening. The moment you see it, the memory is erased.
0: Mm, So it's sort of a mini awakening then?
1: That's why I call it healing into consciousness. Because at the moment consciousness comes in and the core of this method is consciousness. It uses consciousness to create the permanent, and I'm emphasizing permanent, because it happens physically, emotionally, mentally, it's a permanent transformation and a permanent healing in the body.
0: Yeah, so so could, could it be described as a corrective experience that something that you, you sort of go back and you, you, you give another experience or another option, so to speak, to the body mind?
1: Well, first of all, you transcend the physical. With the awareness of I cannot die, you transcend the physical reality and when you transcend the physical reality there is no tension and there's no stress inside the body the energy moves freely and the life force knows i can enjoy my life because i know that it's finite as a matter of fact yesterday i worked with somebody and he had for many lifetimes or at least six lifetimes he was a seeker and searching and searching but what happens with most seekers is that they go find a teacher and they hope that the teacher is going to do the work for them. Hmm. So if I found a teacher, then uh, my transformation will happen just by the fact of me sitting next to the teacher. Many people are in that misconception. So life after life after life and obviously why somebody is looking for a teacher because they know they want their soul knows I want transformation but at the same time they know there's a fear of death and they don't know how to cross that barrier and so they go to the teacher but the teacher talks to them cannot do that work of taking them through the fear and in order for someone to go through the fear For someone to take somebody through the fear, you need a master who understands that human condition and how how it works and has a tool. This is why I appreciated Osho so much, because he brought those tools that helped me personally. And now this is a tool. So once I worked with this person, what came up was, I don't want to die. So, I don't want to die. Why? I don't want to die. And there's so many layers, life after life, for six lifetimes, he's been struggling with, I don't want to die, because I have not lived yet. Hmm. Now, if there's fear of death, can we live? Of course not. We pull back our energy, our life force. So then, we continue this mechanical pattern, life after life after life, fear of death, I don't want to die, I haven't lived. And then, time comes for the body to die and existence pushes us out of the body and we just die unconsciously we just go into such sort of like almost a coma and then come back into the next body bringing the same pattern. I don't want to die I haven't lived yet. So he continued that for six lifetimes I don't want to die I haven't lived yet and this lifetime so the body thankfully gives those signals. He had He had pain on the right side of the body and the neck and the the shoulder. And it was chronic and he'd done everything possible. Then the pain wasn't going away. So once we worked through the layers that were blocking the energy, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. So once all those layers were released, suddenly he saw, I can break the cycle of life and death and I'm ready to do it. He suddenly saw it's a cycle. Life and death is a cycle. I've been here many times. I've done the same thing over and over again. It's a cycle. I can break this cycle now. The moment he saw that, again, consciousness, the power of consciousness, the moment he saw that, said, I'm ready to break the cycle of life and death. Hmm. So with that awareness, obviously, naturally, the awareness of, okay, well, if this is it, if I'm ready to break this cycle, I'm going to live my life fully. I'm not going to hold back on anything.
0: Yeah, this sounds very empowering then.
1: Of course. Consciousness is empowering. And the method works with the whole body. This is another thing. We need to work with the body, the mind, the whole body, head to toe, the, the whole body, the mind, the emotions, the the spirit and consciousness all those five elements are part of this method that they're all are used at the same time and work at the same time so that the full permanent transformation can happen on, on all those levels all at the same time right
0: right yeah and, and maybe just you know go back a bit and explain once more this concept of thought forms because because you did mention it briefly and I found that really an interesting concept which made sense to me so uh, yeah in relation to what you said now you know the whole body the mind the spirit and so forth and how does these thought forms play a part
1: well for example every child is they feel something they want something from their parents they cannot ask for it they don't know how to articulate So when a child feels fear, and every single child has felt fear, the child wants to say, I'm afraid, help me, but they don't say it. They feel it. Now, when something is not expressed, it stays in the body. And if a child had an experience and wanted to say, help me, mom, or help me, dad, but didn't, was afraid to call for help now that thought that is a thought form Hmm. and that thought not expressed stays in the body any kind of situation that would remind the, the childhood experience the first experience of that what triggered the fear is going to recreate itself in a later life it's going to come back and the undercurrent of it's the same experience And interestingly, we get attracted to similar experiences because existence wants us to wake up and learn our lessons and transform. So it keeps bringing us those opportunities. And not only that, the law of attraction, we attract similar energies. And even further than that, we even come into our family. We get attracted to our parents who have similar energies to what we need to transform within ourselves, so that they can be our mirrors. When we start blaming the parent for not giving me what I needed, this is where we go wrong. We don't understand that I, I got attracted to these people because I needed the mirrors, I needed to see what I need to work within myself.
0: Emphasizing the role of, of, of many lifetimes, why is it that this is so important for you? Because it seems to be sort of a red thread through your book, for instance. So, so why is it so important on, on the spiritual path?
1: It's important to look at the past lives for one reason, if there's not many other reasons. One very important reason is to see how we repeat the same unconscious patterns. Hmm. Because ultimately the goal is to transform. From unconsciousness into consciousness. So if that's the goal of existence, then if I look back at my several lives and I see that I've repeated the same pattern over and over again. And this is why I put the, the last uh, chapter in my book with my own story of my previous lifetimes to show people that how I've missed life after life after life based on what? The fear of death. So how, even though I've done all this work, one time I missed because I was afraid I I didn't trust. Next time I died unconsciously because I was focused on the stars and thought that I can find all all the answers by studying the stars as an astronomer. I missed, again, because I was trying to find the answers through through the mind. Another lifetime I missed because I wanted to keep my independence. So that's another part of the ego. And this is a significant life for me with the Buddha, where I actually left somebody so precious as the Buddha because I didn't want to go and beg for my existence. So what's that part? It's coming from the ego. I, the ego, doesn't want to go and beg for my food because that was the condition if you want to be a part of as the entourage or disciple so every lifetime we need to see that ah this is another aspect of the ego aha so this fear of death is another aspect of the ego so one time i was a rich person and i did all these things unconsciously misused by power now i come to another lifetime and now i'm a poor person and I don't want to go into those riches because I don't like to misuse my power and I don't like how that, that whole um, manipulative environment is. Okay, now I see that. So I did this so I can learn that. And another lifetime, I come and do something else so I can learn. So this is, this is why we need to remember our lifetimes so we can understand these are aspects of my mind And a part of my evolution, because every time I made a decision at my time of death, it was a decision based on something that I either became aware of, and I don't want to repeat, or it's a decision based on something I did not fulfill and I did not live, I did not bring to fruition. So it's still waiting for me to live and learn from that experience. So, this is part of introspection that every person needs to do. Why do I have certain liking for something and I certain dislike for something? Why am I afraid of something? Why am I angry at somebody? So that ever we need to ask those questions. That's the part of introspection. So we need to become scientists of our own inner world. That's how we come to the center. Finally, you start realizing, okay, well, who's asking those questions? Who's looking at those things? Who's making those decisions? I'm the one who's watching me making those decisions, going through those lifetimes, and suddenly you come back to the witness. Suddenly you realize, ah, there is a witness that's seeing all these things. But at the same time, there is consciousness that evolves and grows as a result of that questioning. So the ego and consciousness, as you read in the book, they need to they need to grow simultaneously for the, for the ego to be ripe enough to be let go of. And if consciousness is not growing simultaneously, then the ego stays in its infancy then the consciousness stays in its infancy. So there's no room, there's no there's no opportunity for transformation. And the society of course wants infantile egos because that's you can you can very easily manipulate a child. We all know that.
0: Hmm. So there's sort of a parallel process there. I mean that's that's so interesting to hear you speak about the connections between well consciousness as a base and you know the 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 egos parallel development as a recipient or or a vehicle to sort of hold or blend with that consciousness
1: yeah so ultimately it's developing that understanding and every single thing that people do even sometimes it's not, it's not the full picture, it's still helpful. All those conditionings that we have lived with have created, have kept people crippled. And it's, why is it that even, you know, there's so much emphasis on uh, people come to Jesus with their crutches and then the crutches are being let go of. That's basically we need to look at that. This is very important because people when they come to somebody with the crutches, they need to understand they have the power to throw their crutches. Hmm. Yeah. and and this is we need to create more courageous human species and the, the, the age of enlightenment is is starting to happen. It's already starting to happen. it's it's right there. And, and I see people waking up as I'm working with them I see people waking up and then what happens then they take it to the people they're working with yeah and I have so many people who are who are therapists themselves and they' who are um, teaching and who are bringing this awareness more to the people that they're working with and that's how this understanding—it's almost like a new education—and what we're doing here together with you, even with our conversation, is part of that education.
0: Yeah, right. this is so b- beautiful. Imagine now that there is the possibility in in many different contexts to create spaces, relationships, and methods that can support the both the unfolding of the ego you know like you said you know really having the experience of living fully you know really unfolding the ego but also then of course healing into consciousness and letting go of the ego and transcending the ego and there's so many more things we could say here i don't think i want to try to sum up anything but You've, you mentioned that you, you work with people directly and I was thinking, you know, uh, if people who are listening, you know, if they want to contact you or how would they do that either online or in face to face?
1: I work one-on-one. I have people from all over the world that work with me. So if they want to work one-on-one with me, I do phone sessions where I help them transform those layers. I also have eight-week online courses which are very powerful and we use parts of my method which, as a matter of fact, is going to be released as a self-healing version so people can work on their own because I would like to see people use this and take take the responsibility and take that power back into their own hands to actually work with their own healing and transformation and the method can help them do that and uh, so that would be a self-healing version that will will be released very soon. Of course the online courses I do intensives, uh, retreats and uh, people travel from all over the world so it's a very international community of people and As a matter of fact, many people work as a couple. So I have many couples that work together, which is so beautiful. Um, And there is, so my website, madadalian.com. There's also a group on Facebook called Healing Into Consciousness Group. So anybody who wants to join and just have a conversation there with some of the people that have been working with me, there
0: can do that as well mm, well great that so what sense. i'll also do i'll um post some links to your websites and your book and yeah and i would really like to um to once again say that i i, I really truly enjoyed that book and it was refreshing in in some ways so some of the perspectives were familiar but it was really you know written in a refreshing way and and very sort of to the point really appreciated that so i would strongly recommend listeners who are curious to these topics that they they check it out and i understand it can be bought both as an ebook book and as a traditional book right
1: that's right um at the moment it's um it's in three languages it will be in four languages soon so it's english spanish russian and it will be published in estonian soon and so hopefully we'll be translated into more
0: languages yeah well that's great well we'll see um you know what happens down the road maybe um you know, if you would like you know, you could come back and we could have another conversation at a later date i mean i i know for sure now that i i need a bit of time to sort of unpack and um you know let all these things that we've talked about sink in and um i'm i'm sort of a bit curious about if i'll be able to fall to sleep uh, right away because it's actually approaching you know 11 in the evening uh, on, on my end yeah. and um i i'm i'm sort of sensing that I, I yeah i might even you know have a little walk and just let all the um impressions from my conversation you know sink in and
1: yeah so in, in one way it's good you can take you can take this into your sleep state
0: and and i suppose that's you know also a topic that we could have explored you know how to yeah use you know the the dream state as a, v- a vehicle for transformation that is you know for the listeners that is a topic that which i want to explore further um at a later date with someone so that's sort of a, a message just put out there so if you um if anyone knows people interested in 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 that area yeah just contact me and um when that is said, I would just really like to thank you for your time. Well, thanks again then, and um, have a have a nice day then. In okay, Vancouver. Thank,
1: thank you, James, and uh, thank you for having me once more.